0: Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Lisa. It is such a joy and an honor to hang out with you, the City First family. I just want to start at the very beginning and give a big shout out to your pastors, Pastor Jeremy and Jen Duart. Come on, can we put our hands together for them? So good. Just models of consistency and character, stability and leadership, and uh, I recognize that because I come from great leadership uh, down at the chapel in sunny Florida. When you start a series called Love Where You Live, I just want you to know I love where I live for two reasons, sunshine and home of the two-time world champion, y'all judging me already, it's okay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, absolutely, so... Bears fans, we have seen bad days in Tampa as well, so your day is coming in Jesus' name. Receive it, receive it, receive it. (laughs) So good. Hey, I brought a picture of my family that I'd love to show you as well. My wife Danielle and I in October will celebrate 11 years of marriage together. I love it. And we've had at least two nights of passion in our relationship, because now we've got two beautiful kids. A six-year-old daughter named Savannah, starting first grade this week, and our two-year-old son, Kyrie. They are a ton of fun, and yes, we are always tired. (laughs) But it's just a joy. It's a joy to be able to do life, it's a joy to be able to have relationships, and I'm honored to be able to hop into week one in our series, Love Where You Live. And this week, we're gonna unpack from this subject, Love Like Jesus. Because how many know it's important that we set off on a path not to love the way that we want to love, but to love the way that Jesus has called us to love because it gives us a chance to love people better and in a way that honors God. Amen? Amen. Uh, Today we're gonna read uh, from a familiar passage of scripture to some, uh, maybe a new passage of scripture to others. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Uh, It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's created a cultural phrase that will use uh, the Good Samaritan Usually used for people that return a lost wallet or a lost dog, never for someone who returns a lost cat. I can't stand cats, just so we're clear. <laughs> Five people, amen, amen. The truth is I'm allergic to them, so my throat begins to close within 30 minutes. Uh, But the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, it's a parable that Jesus tells, uh, a parable. It's, It's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I believe that there are layers to this story that will help us to understand not only how God sees us, but how he nudges us to see his greatest creation, which is people. That's a really good spot in the message for you to nudge somebody next to you and just say you are God's greatest creation. You are God's greatest creation. If that's your spouse, that's a great opportunity to flirt with them and just say you are God's greatest creation. If that is not your spouse, please don't nudge them. Come on. (laughs) Uh, So when Jesus unpacks this story, he does so in Luke chapter 10, and it it reads a little bit like this. Uh, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Notice the language here. A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll give you my black card next time I show up and pay you the next time that I'm here. That's my translation, by the way. That's my translation. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? And Jesus asked, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I I love this passage of scripture. Uh, It's actually one of my favorite. And for different layers that we'll unpack today, it shows us Jesus in a dialogue with someone who scripture calls a lawyer. This is not a defense attorney or a prosecutor. This is someone who is astute in Old Testament law. He's devoted his life to understanding the Old Testament, being able to articulate it and teach it simultaneously. However, this man has in his heart an ought with Jesus, another fellow teacher of the law. And because he has this ought, he wants to try, some of your translations say, to trap Jesus. Because Jesus has shown up on the scene with a gangster lean and he is communicating to the community of that day about a kingdom that he has come to bring. A kingdom that is all about receiving the love of God and the forgiveness that God brings. The grace that flows from heaven down to earth. Jesus has come to communicate this message, but this lawyer is having a hard time. And so he is trying to trap Jesus so they can attack him. And he walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is the greatest of all commandments? Jesus then pulls the proverbial carpet from underneath him because while this man thought Jesus was going to look at the crowd and point to himself, he looks at the man and directly quotes the Old Testament by saying, love the Lord your God with everything you are and everything that you have, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. It's... It's in this moment now that the man is almost seemingly on his heels, and so he looks for a caveat or an outclause as to who he's supposed to love. Pause, because let's all be honest. We would love to be excused from loving certain people. Y'all with me? I'm going to go talk to them over here. Here we go. We'd all love to to have an outclause where God says, love everybody except for them. But Jesus then looks back at this man and begins to tell a story about who our neighbor is. When he begins to unpack this story layer by layer, you you can feel the tension begin to rise with the listeners to this story because of the layers. Let's unpack them together today. Jesus looks at this man and says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a Jewish man, as a matter of fact. Jesus is so clear to point out. When he says this, the listeners to this story have a moment where they are believing now. Here we go. Because they're familiar with the winding serpentine road that this man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. They understand that this road is treacherous, that oftentimes murderers and thieves hang out along this road. So as he begins to tell the story of a man probably returning from a business trip to Jerusalem, back home to Jericho, uh, he says as they're making their way down this road, the listeners would go, he better be armed and he better be alert because at any moment he could be attacked certain man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Bible says, and then he falls among thieves, which do three things. They strip him of his clothes and his belongings. They wound him, and then they leave him half dead. Jesus continues the story by saying that the first individual to show up to the crime scene is a priest, Uh, This priest is one who is in charge of the benevolence budget for the local church. And so if there's anyone that you want to show up in a moment like this that has the resources and the ability to be able to meet a need, it is the priest. But the Bible says that when the priest shows up to where this half-dead man is, they find him, and the Bible says that he does nothing. There's a second individual that shows up. The translation we read today says a temple assistant. Some would translate it as this, a worship leader. Clearly, this individual was not Pastor Sam. Pastor Sam wouldn't walk by. He'd interact with you. He'd pray for you. He'd help to meet the need that you've got before moving on. Mm Mm-hmm. Clearly, this guy had different appointments on his calendar that day, and so he steps over and moves away. And then Jesus does something that evokes the blood pressure of those listening to begin to boil. He says, a despised Samaritan shows up. Please understand that he uses this language not because he can't stand Samaritans, but he knows that the listeners to this story have a conflict with Samaritans. In short, Jews and Samaritans just don't mix. Biblical historians tell us that at one point they derived from the same family, but over time they began to spread out over arguments over how we worship and where we worship. And one group of people looked down on another and the ones who were looked down upon, the Samaritans decided that if you don't like me the way that I am, I don't like you the way that you are. And for Jesus to insert into the story that two Jewish men would not meet the need, but one despised Samaritan would, now causes angst in the hearts of those who are listening. Can you feel the tension in the text? (laughs) Some Jews would actually pray back in that day and time, a disparaging prayer towards Samaritans that would go like this. God, I thank you that no Samaritans will join in the resurrection. The audacity of a group of people to look down on another simply because of difference in race, ways that they worship, And Jesus inserts himself there. John chapter 4, you'll hear that Jesus is no stranger to Samaria. He actually hangs out at a well in the middle of the day and meets arguably one of the first desperate housewives in all of Scripture. The the Bible says that when he has a conversation with her, this is just how I read Scripture. So y'all rock with me just for a second. She looks at him and goes, Jesus, you don't know me. And Jesus looks back and says, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with, he ain't it. (laughs) To which she responds, running back into the community, I just met a man who told me everything about me, yet I left his presence better than how I showed up. Mm -hmm. Can I pause right here just for a moment and say that the same Jesus that showed up to the well and spoke, to this Samaritan woman and didn't talk to her based upon her past but talked to her based upon her purpose and potential is the same Jesus that's speaking to us today and saying that you are not the product of what you have been through. You are the product of who created you fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of a perfect God and nothing and no one can separate you from My presence. Mm. Even Jesus' own disciples have issue with the Samaritans. You'll see this just one chapter before in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus asks them to go into Samaria ahead of him to find lodging and food for them. When they get there, no one will accept their money, not based upon their money's value, but based upon their race. Jesus looks at his disciples, James and John, two guys in the inner circle with Jesus. They look back at him around verse 54 of Luke chapter 9 and say, Hey, Jesus, they won't accept this here. Want us to call down lightning from heaven? Zap them. Come on. F-16s, let's go. We can handle it. Jesus just simply looks back and goes, of course not. The Son of Man didn't come to take life. He came to give it. Mm. Jesus, not not afraid to insert himself into cultural bigotry. Jesus, not afraid to insert himself into the misogyny of the day. Uh, Jesus, not afraid to enter into circles and scenarios where other Jewish individuals and leaders would never go, decides that he is going to clearly articulate who this neighbor is to this man that is looking to be excused from loving someone. And he picks a despised Samaritan who is the exact opposite of what this Jewish lawyer was prepared for. In the story he says there are three particular things that the good Samaritan chose to do. He chose to take notice, he chose to take pity, and he chose to take action. He chose to take notice while the priest and the temple assistant decided that they had more important things to attend to that day. He shows us that the despised Samaritan takes notice as to what has happened to this man, but he doesn't just look and keep moving. He looks, here we go, and then he takes pity. The story says that he took compassion The word compassion here is literally translated as the feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you notice an injustice that has taken place and you believe you've been called to do something to rectify it. He felt compelled to take the third part, action. Because the healing that God desires to bring to a hurting world It's not done from a distance. It's done by getting up close and personal to those who are suffering. It's it's done by getting up close and personal to understand the perspective, the family of origin, the neighborhood, the background, the backstory that our friends and family members are carrying with them. We have to get off of our proverbial beast and get close to them to find out what beast they've been dealing with so that God can use. Use us to make a difference. The, the, the Samaritan then puts the man where he belongs and puts himself where the man belongs. He loads this man onto his own donkey and he walks the rest of the way caring for that man after pouring in the wine, the Bible says, and the oil. The wine, it's it's a disinfectant that's used kind of like hydrogen peroxide. And we all know hydrogen peroxide works because of the bubbles. Come on. And he he pours in the oil. It's like neosporin. And then he takes his own bandages and wraps them. And he ushers this man to an inn. And he hands the innkeeper two silver coins. Some of your translations will read two denarii. These two silver coins, archaeologists have actually excavated signage from inns back in that day and time. And it shows us that these two silver coins are worth around a 60-day stay in the inn. Clearly, this Samaritan was prepared for what got sent his direction. And cared so much about someone that he was supposed to hate. He said, I'll do whatever I can within the means I've been given to meet the need that's in front of me. Can we just be honest for a moment and say one of the hardest things about meeting needs and loving people where we live and loving people when God sends them to us is they often don't show up at opportune moments for our calendar. Ministry moments often show up as inconveniences. But God didn't send needs our direction, here we go, because it was a convenient time. He sent needs our direction because somebody has got to, let me just say it like I'd say it back home, somebody has got to help a brother or a sister out. Yeah. Yeah. If I can step back from the story just for a moment. I grew up, uh, my my parents have been pastors for almost 40 years, and so I'm a PK, and they've read a lot of Bible stories to me over the years, and uh, you and I are very similar in this capacity that when we hear Bible stories often, we try to place ourselves as who am I as the character in the story. Like, let's take David and Goliath for an example. I'm never Goliath. I'm always David. Joseph and his brothers, coat in many colors. He gets his brothers, they get mad at him and throw him in a pit. I've got two younger brothers. I've never thrown my brothers in a pit, but I thought about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. You always try to find yourself in the story. And and I got to be honest with you, when Jesus tells this story, he's not telling this story for inspiration's sake. He's telling this story for enlightenment's sake. Because he's hoping that this lawyer who came to pick a fight with Jesus, pause, wrong day, wrong time, and always the wrong person. Trying to push His educational prowess and his knowledge base, his socioeconomic level and everybody else to let them know what he has and what they don't. Jesus hopes that this man would be enlightened now to holler out, I came for one thing, but you flip the script and now it's something completely different. But this man is missing the point of the story. Because let's be honest, we all like to be the hero in the story. We all want to be the one that swoops down, snatches people out from where they are. Dun, da, da, da. We we all want to be the one that God uses. Dun, da, da, da. We come on—it's that goofy superhero music. You know what I'm saying? But in in actuality, we're we're not equipped to be the hero. All of us either have been, or maybe currently are the half-dead individual on the side of the road. That the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And life has a way of punching you in your face and never asking for permission or saying, I'm sorry. And at some point, we have been on the side of the road needing help and needing someone to come in and pour in the proverbial oil and the wine. And as much as we're resourceful and as much as we figure things out and as much as we believe that we can have the ability to change our circumstance or situation, it's not possible because while we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us, coming to find us where we were, snatching us up from our dead state on the side of the road and saying, What you can never do for you, I will gladly do for you. I'll go to a cross. I'll be nailed. I'll be whipped. I'll be buried. But three days later, I'm coming back with all power in my hands to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I'm trying to find myself in the story. I'd like to be the good Samaritan, but let's just be honest. We've all been the half-dead person, or here we go. Sometimes we're the priest or the temple assistant. I'd like to help, but I got kids. I got things to do. My schedule's a little packed. Don't have a lot of margin on this Monday in particular. Come on. I, I, I'd like to help man. I don't want to get messy, though. I want to get dirty. I just took a shower. I put on my good shoes, come on. Blood and good shoes, they don't go together. (laughs) I'd love to say that I find myself as the good Samaritan, but in reality, I found myself as one of those other three characters more often than not. But can I nudge you in the direction of what I think like Jesus is calling us to today? We may not be the hero. We can put in more time to love people where we live or where they live. Here we go. We can admit that he's called us to help meet needs and change the community around us. But I think one of the most underestimated individuals in this story is the innkeeper. He didn't ask for the issue to show it up, but he still handled it anyways. He had no idea when he woke up that morning he'd be changing bedsheets and helping to replace someone's bloodied bandages multiple times during the day. But you notice the innkeeper never asked questions about what happened. The innkeeper never says, well, what's his blood type? What's he been through? Does he have anybody following him? Are they going to burn my inn down? No, he just simply meets the need that's put in front of him. It leads me to ask this question, are you willing to meet the needs that Jesus puts in your path? Are you willing to meet those needs? Are you willing to address the challenges that people are facing and not judge them based upon their posture in life but to get close to them in their pain? Are we willing to cross over different aisles whether politically speaking or ideology speaking and just meet people where they are? Are we willing to engage? Here we go. Not to be the hero of the story, but to simply be a place where people can find care and love and hope and healing and take the time they need. Are you willing to love like Jesus? I mentioned earlier my parents have been pastors for about 40 years. But the greatest messages that I've seen them communicate We're not on a stage with a microphone. They were in our community when God would send needs to our doorstep. And I remember I had a friend in high school, his name was Chris. Chris showed up on the front porch of our house. He went through a conversation with my dad for an hour, I was still at work, he was talking to my dad and we quickly found out that Chris had just had a confrontation with his dad where his dad tried to run him down in his car and threatened to beat him down with a tire iron. Now anyone who's raised teenagers before, let's just be honest. But it's in that moment that we were not trying to get engaged in the family drama, but we knew that God had called us to meet a specific need for a 48 hour stretch of time until we could get Chris to a different situation with a different family member until things cooled down. So when we ate dinner that night, Chris ate dinner with us. When, when we left the house and dad hugged us and affirmed us before we left the house, Chris got that hug and affirmation too. When we got back home and dad hugged us and welcomed us back in, he also hugged and welcomed Chris back in as well. Why are you saying all of this, Kyle? Because some of the things and the ways that we meet the needs that Jesus puts in our path, they have nothing to do with just preaching the gospel at people. Sometimes it's just the practical need of you saw me hurting and you helped me. You saw I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. You loved me in spite of what I smelled like or in spite of what I look like, in spite of what I was going through, and if I could nudge, this across your table today and challenge you to ask God, what's the need he's put in your path today? What is it? Better said, who is it? All of us have been saved by God, whether we know it or not. All of us are loved by the creator of the universe All of us have been forgiven of things that we never could have worked ourselves into a place of forgiveness to get rid of. All of us stand in this place where the good Samaritan, Jesus, the perfect God, decided to get involved with imperfect humanity because he loved us so much. So it seems that our only response in reaction to receiving this love is now to share this love as well. To love the near one that God sends across our path. To love the one who we'd like not to talk to. Here we go. To love the person in your office who you'd rather throw sharpened pencils at. All because someone chose to love us. So who is it? And are you willing? Not are you ready? We're never ready. God, I need to get things together. No, no, no. We're never ready. But the question is, are we willing? Are we willing to stand up, to be seen, to speak loud, to be heard, and let them know you can find hope and love and healing here. Our job isn't to fix people, but our job is to love them to a place where the one who can fix them gets his arms wrapped around them and cares for them to a point of no return. You want to love like Jesus? Yeah, I do. Be willing to meet whatever he sends down your path. And when you do, just know to him be the glory to Him be the honor, to Him be the praise, both now and forevermore. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you that you're no respecter of person, so it's in a moment like this that we give to you, not just our desires, but also our hearts. Would you help us to see people the way that you see them? Would you help us to love people the way that you love them? And let this be our anthem, that we cry from the rooftops, that you are the answer, the answer that we have found and the answer that someone else is about to find because of how you use us today and every day to come in jesus name we pray if you believe this and are in agreement would you stand to your feet all over this room would you stand to your feet wherever you are would you shoot your hands in the air let's sing this together we'll shout it we'll shout it from